Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Side, a podcast about black science fiction and fantasy. I'm one of your amazing co-hosts, Amber. And I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. Ben, where are we right now? The bathroom. Greetings from the bathroom, everyone, because it's raining outside of Chicago. We ain't got time for that. We got a podcast to put down. Anywho, this week for episode four, we have read and will be discussing The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval. I just want to make Say that say that one more time. <laughs> His name is Victor Laval. I realized last week in episode three that I called him Victor Laval, honey. Like he was Dipped in Jerry Curl juice in a John Singleton movie. So this week he is a black man, but I will put some respect on his name by pronouncing it correctly. His name is Victor Laval. What did you do in episode one? I think we messed up a name as well in episode one. I think I called her Gabori Sidibe. Mm-hmm. It's not that either. It's Gabori. It's Gabaret. No, it rhymes. Sidibe. We're never going to... Fuck. Be able to interview anybody. Of ever, course not. If don't... I keep butchering names, I'm sorry, everyone out there. You're so great. I really gotta. I'm gonna come back at the end of the episode and pronounce your name correctly. All right. So today on episode four, we're gonna talk a little bit about the ballad of Black Tom and all of the names that we are going to butcher. So before we start, let's get into a little plot summary, just in case you have not read the book. A black man. Abby, Tommy Tester, uses the guise of a musician to travel around New York City in the 1920s, hustling occult artifacts. He runs into this rich white dude, Robert Sudanam, who manipulates him to awaken the monster Cthulhu. Along with monsters, the story explores the OG of science fiction racism, my boy H.P. Lovecraft. Tommy has to deal with racist cops, familial loss, and general white fetishism. Good God Almighty, and it was good too. You want to talk about it, Ben? Yeah, before we begin, though, it's story time. So this is an end time (laughs) story, and I love the end times. I love Revelations, one of my favorite Bible books. I went to church to learn about the end times, but I was sort of surprised, Amber, that you did not know what the end times is because... You went to church all the time. And my question for you is, what was church for if not getting ready for the end times? (laughs) Well, I went to church to learn about love and also to, you know, perfect my vocal cords as a soprano. So when you were talking to me about the end times, didn't, didn't you talk about that at church? Didn't you always fear church and hell and heaven? It's like I knew about that, but that was not the focal point of that my parents had when we were going to church. Did you ever read the Left Behind series? Oh, hell, I don't even know what that is. Is that George Bush's, like, no child left behind propaganda? Oh, God. No. So how did you learn about the rapture? So I heard about the rapture when I was a little kid, probably about fifth or sixth grade, and I was riding around in the car with my dad, and the car in front of us had a bumper sticker on it. And that bumper sticker said, come the rapture, we'll have earth to ourselves. And I remember asking my dad, like, Dad, what's the rapture? He was like, oh, it's just, you know, when we're all going to die, but only the Christians are going to be saved. Like, even he sort of joked about it and was more focused on the satire of the bumper sticker than the actual, like, fundamental truth that this rapture is coming and that I should fear it. Baffling. Yeah. Not the same for you? No. It was all about preparing your soul, getting ready for... The end times, because we believe... As a child? As a child. At the church? Yeah, so uh, we believed that America was under attack because abortion was legal, 
and the queers were coming out. Uh, mm. And so you had to get ready because abortionists and queers were going to take over America and they were going to bring the end times. And some people believe that you would get raptured and taken away if you're a Christian. And that's what the Left Behind series is about. But other churches, like my church, believe that you were going to stay here and have to deal with the end times, even if you were a Christian. So your rapture meant you had to stay here. And what happened to all the Christians? My family didn't believe in the rapture. Our church didn't believe in the rapture. Er. It happened. It would happen after the destruction of the world. My family believed that the rapture happened after the destruction that would come. So what was the rapture to your family then? The rapture was us just meeting Jesus when the world ended. Which is cosmic horror. And truly, cosmic horror is this super Lovecraftian thing. Amber, how sick are you of me talking about Lovecraft? I'm just... Everything I read, I have to follow up with four different articles and dissertations about H.P. Lovecraft. So I'm pretty sick at this point. Obviously, I love the show Lovecraft Country, and we tune in every week. But talking about Howard, the racist, I can I can do a little bit less of that in my home. So to that point, what opinions have you developed of Lovecraft? I mean, it's the, it's the same with all of our problematic faves. It's like I love the content that you're producing and I recognize the impact that you made on a genre, but I don't fuck with you. That's how I feel about it. Something that Lovecraft was known for, not only was he racist and hated Jews, anti-Semitic, all of that stuff, but I was learning that he truly believed evil stemmed from uh, carnal unions that were against nature. What the hell does that mean? It meant people having sex with other people and reproducing when they shouldn't. Oh, like different races. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's horrible. Why would people of different races date each other and then have sex? Crazy. So you're, so you're okay with them dating? Of course. But having sex? Absolutely not. <laughs> I guess he was probably okay with them having sex. They just couldn't reproduce. Okay, so he's okay with them having sex, but don't they dare reproduce? Yes. I mean, I love the idea of him rolling over in his grave or in in the rapture. Whatever hell he's made for himself, I love the idea of him watching us talk shit about him and then likely have sex after this podcast. Yay, yay. Take that H to the P. All right. Yeah, well, Lovecraft is terrible, and Victor Laval grew up reading Lovecraft and yep. loved Lovecraft. And he shares a story about how after his racial puberty... Uh, <laughs> I love that it's called that. Some people have yet to hit that. Yes, that's so true. And they stink. I was they a, are perspiring. I was a late bloomer. I, didn't th- I don't think I hit late uh, racial puberty until I was in college. When did you hit racial puberty? Maybe age two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because obviously as a black person, you learn pretty early like, Oh, there's a reason people don't like me. Maybe I just didn't have cute hair that day. And then one day you're like, oh, it's my skin. Cute. Oh, it's slavery. Great. Oh, it's global. So that process probably happens to most black people between the age of 18 months and 
two years. Unless you're Daniel Cameron. Victor Laval, though, talks about his racial puberty coming in late middle school. And when when he was a kid reading Lovecraft, he never picked up any of the racism. He reads it as a young adult, realized racism is everywhere, Mm. and then comes back as as an adult and decides to write The Ballad of Black Tom as a response to an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Horror of Red Hook. It's like different fan fiction. It is fan fiction. Yeah. There's a legitimate... It's like, at what point does it go from fan fiction to just a complete new story? Depends if a publishing house picks it up or not. Which is also wrapped in white supremacy. But it's funny that you say that because... When I think about my recognition of racism in the world, that age for my racial puberty is really young. But when I read a text and realize that I'm not the audience, I definitely see that age being middle school to high school as I learn how to read more critically. Also, it makes me think of any time you go back and watch a TV show or watch a movie and you realize that... Like, oh shit, I used to love that shit, and it's problematic as hell. So what things have you gone back to and realized, ooh, that was bad? Um, well, you know, our girl JK, I'm not going to give her too much airtime, but JK Rowling. Also, uh, recently, as far as, like, different TV shows and stuff, you know, UPN has re-released everything back on Netflix and so I'm, you know, I rewatched Moesha, which I still love. It still holds up in a lot of ways. She's like this young activist and all that, but she's doing just so much like fat shaming of her, one of her best friends, Kim, in the show that you're kind of like, what are all these fat jokes? Like, I can't revere Moesha in the way I did because she's like dragging the fuck out of her friend, not an enemy, a friend for being, you know, overweight in, in the 90s. In her eye. I'd like for you to talk about girlfriends because... I knew it was coming. My girlfriends. I had to get that out before before you bashed it. I'm not going to bash it. I'm going to let you... You better not. I'm going to let you do that. But I've watched 15 episodes too many. You've watched many seasons. Oh, I'm on season four. Likely be done with season eight by the end of the week. But it's... It has its problems. You know, it's it has its problems, but it has so much good. At that time, you know, Girlfriends came out when I was probably in middle school or so. So I was I did not have a show to look up to that didn't make me aspire to motherhood. And Girlfriends was the first show that did that. So it's like I could watch, um, you know, I could watch The Huxtables. I could watch The Winslows uh, with Family Matters and Steve Urkel. There was this like family dynamic, family dynamic. And. As a teenager, I'm not trying to watch a show about family dynamics. I'm trying to watch a show that's like, ooh, what am I going to look like when I'm 30? And when I'm a young professional? And what's my dating life going to be like? So that show was really powerful for me because it wasn't just saying like, you're going to be a mom when you get older. Yay! But it was very centered on men. And it was very, in the ways that Moesha was, like, 
there might be a couple fat jokes here and there. Or they're one of the characters, Tony Childs. We love to hate her. She's just very anti-black with a lot of the things that she says. She's black, but she will just always be like, you don't have to be so ghetto. And you're just like, Tony, God damn it. No, girl. And she's a bad friend. And she's a bad friend. But I'm not here to talk about girlfriends. What, what have you consumed and gone back to see that was problematic or not the way that you remembered it? James Bond movies. Oh, say more. I loved James Bond movies growing up, and I go back and watch them now, and I realize this is a terrible, misogynistic asshole who murders people. He's a serial murderer. Yeah. It's like Ted Bundy. Chic. That is James Bond. That summarizes it really well. That's it. Well, he's kind of killing bad guys, isn't it? I mean, I didn't watch a lot of James Bond growing up, but isn't he kill it like he's like Archer? He is Archer. Or but, Archer is him. Yeah, but Archer is complete trash as well. <laughs> Agree, but they but Archer's trying to be trash, whereas James Bond is not. I don't know if Archer's Okay, we are getting way off topic. Getting back to Lovecraft. I when I went Boo. also you put a sound effect there. Boo, but thank you. Boo. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate Lovecraft because he does create cosmic horror. And as we said before, it's this like ineffable, otherworldly, like unknowable, disturbing thing that like lurks around you. Hell. Hell, yeah, right? You can't actually know, know what it is. So The Ballad of Black Tom does deal with cosmic horror, but it deals with a very different kind of horror as well. And we'll get into that, but... What did you think right when you finished the book? What was your like first responses? I was immediately I was immediately reminded of like Get Out, how we have this strong black character who we've seen uh, develop and evolve in a very short amount of time, and we're cheering for that person no matter how much blood is shed, no matter uh, how much they're starting to become a little bit more evil and maniac. Well, that's kind of not like Get Out, but. Get out, he's trying to, like, leave to save his life. But in The Ballad of Black Tom, the main character goes from being manipulated to basically taking over the shit and harming others. But we root for that character because he has been essentially, like, enslaved and subordinate for so long. And I could cheer for him in that message. I love that this book was a novella. So you could sit down and read it in three hours compared to sure. so much of science fiction. Fantasy. As you know, I definitely appreciated that part of it. So much of science fiction fantasy, you have to read like 300 pages. So super short book, go out and buy it, read it. It's amazing. One of the big themes of it is Charles Thomas Tester uh, or Tommy Tester. He And he was tested. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like what you did there you should he talks about invisibility and how he walks around with an empty guitar case because that makes him look less like less of a threat mm-hmm. as a black man right and so people do all sorts of things to armor themselves with protection um Hell and, yeah. <laughs> and i just think of all the ways you armor yourself when you leave for an audition what are some of those armors that you put on <laughs> my headphones I have to travel with headphones like most women because you're gonna get catcalled like most women non-binary people I'm sure everybody's getting catcalled these days but I will n- I will put my headphones in before I grab a mask these days because 
I don't want to be accosted by randos on the street. Um, sometimes it's actually just people saying hey to me. They're like, Amber, but I got headphones in, friend. I, I need them on the train, on the bus, because people will just feel like they have the right to speak to you, like they have the right to come up to you and talk to you about your body. And then if you don't respond to them, there's this like, well, I ain't like you no way, bitch. So I get to bypass all of that as I listen to audiobooks, podcasts, music, girlfriends, whatever I want. So thank God for headphones. I don't know what I would have done pre-headphones <laughs> errors. I don't think men are really getting catcalled, at least straight men. Yeah. So I don't know if... I remember I got catcalled once and one time and I went to a, I went to a friend. This happened in college. I went to a friend and explained that to her and she was like, oh, that happens... right. That happens all the time to me. And I was like... Ugh. My dumbass self was like, really? She's like, yes, it is mm-hmm. a thing and you need to learn about it. And I remember being frustrated at myself that one that this happened all the time and uh two uh feeling really bad about questioning that like her getting catcalled of course and so it's just a part of daily life it's like you know how many times you see like a squirrel outside on a walk that's the cat call ratio so when tommy tester is being catcalled he's being harassed by people questioning why he's in certain neighborhoods, being followed, followed around, being stopped by cops. It's just his experience in 1920s. And Victor Laval is saying something about what is currently happening today. And that was his like very clear intention in writing this book, was to deal with all the shit that's happening today. And I think reading this book, makes you realize like, oh no, this stop and frisk policies Mm -hmm. of the early 2000s and now with the murders of like unarmed black and brown folk, like this has been going on forever. Forever. Since the founding of of America and before. So reading this puts it in your mind, gives you like a very historical perspective. And he brings up like, historical happenings. For example, Theodore Roosevelt militarizes the police. He brings that into it. And yep. so it does give you a little bit of a history lesson. It does. I really appreciate that. It, it, it hurts. It feels too real when he is being asked by white people, like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And people are following very closely behind him. Even like teenage boys. I remember that Bibli in one scene, he was being chased by three teenage boys and he's like a grown ass man. It's like, wow, you have been raised to be suspicious of me, even though I'm significantly older than you. You feel the right, like you have the right to harass a grown-ass man as a teenager. Is There's a sick balance to that, though, because at the same time as he's being harassed, white characters in the book search out ethnic truth of... um, like black culture and other cultures in, in the story. So there's this other theme that folk religions are uh, there for white people to harvest. For example, Malone, one of the primary characters from the original story, is investigating, uh, is an investigator, but he also travels to these immigrant neighborhoods with his notebook to uh, capture 
um, parts of these religions to deal like with some greater cos cosmic truth. I think in Fortnite, stealing dance moves from black creators to put in their video games. There's a line where Malone says that he's going to harvest these lowly faiths to transmute them into gold of cosmogenic wisdom. It makes me think a lot about like when people take mission trips to different countries and are like, we got to save these people in these villages from going to hell. And only we have the wisdom and the power that can do that to save them. And it's just like, what? <laughs> no. Malone is not even doing that. He, he doesn't believe that he can save them. He believes that he can use their faiths. And since he has a greater mind, he can actually gain truth from their faith. So he doesn't want to change anything about the community. He just wants to harvest the community for his own purposes. And take it back with him. And take so it back. So he's a, a vulture. He's a culture a, vulture. He's a culture, culture leech. He's a culture leech. He's the Rachel Dolezal. He, that's exactly who he is. And uh, when this, this book actually is taught in Michigan State University, uh, Kenitra Brooks uh, talks about uh, sharing this a novel, novella with her students and they feel so much sympathy for, uh, for black Tom, uh, the Who black, is? the, her students, her black students feel mm -hmm. sympathy for black Tom, but her white students feel sympathy for Malone because Malone is this standard, like nice racist dude who it, who would vote for Obama for a third term. This whole character of Malone makes me think of people stealing of people of colors ideas. Amber, I know you, you've had that experience of someone stealing your ideas. Oh, hell yeah. Long story, very short. I got to keep this short because I can talk all day about this person. <clears throat> so I've been running a yoga business for the past two years called Hot Mess Yoga. And out of nowhere, one of my former white coworkers this past year decides that she's going to start a business with the exact same name. So it's like, I know this person. We used to work side by side together. She knows I run this business. She follows me on Instagram. We were teachers together at the same space. And she completely stole the name of my business and is carrying on today. And you've told me that you would rather like confront someone, well, be around someone wearing a Confederate flag or something. Any day of the week. Because it's like, at least I know where you stand if you have a MAGA hat on. Whereas this person claims to be a white liberal and an ally. And she even hosted a yoga class with the name that she stole from me to do what? Donate that money to black trans women. It's like, oh, you care about black women? Really? So you steal out of my pocket and now you want to donate to black women? Great. Sure. And you know, I'm going to handle her as you well know, but the worst part of this is that people think that she's a well-to-do white woman who's on the right side of all of these issues, and she's not. She's huh. actually doing harm to the black community by doing things like this to me. She's actually contributing to black genocide and black erasure when you steal black people's ideas and try to sell them as your own, Malone. That is a different type of genocide. See, you got me. <laughs> Y'all niggas got me hot. Sorry. But we'll we'll get to her. She's she's got her dick, but she's a vulture. Yeah, well, and to balance Malone, you are introduced to an explicit terrible person, Howard, who ends up murdering Tommy Tester's father, Otis, who is this like very like calm. Every time we see him, he's sitting in a chair, he's playing his guitar, he has a wonderful voice. He's like the real magician, whereas his son Tommy's 
sort of like a schemer, a charlatan is what they called him, um, a flexer as what we would call him. So his dad is just like the true, pure, honest musician. And this very racist cop just shot him because he thought the guitar was a gun. That's what, well, that's what he says. Yeah, he, well, he says, I felt in danger for my life. I emptied my revolver, then I reloaded and did it again. Those are the exact words. It's like Laquan McDonald. Absolutely. And because you have these two different kinds of cops, Malone and Howard, it just shows that that all cops, for me, all cops are bastards, right? Uh, And all cops, when they're murdering people, they're actually doing their, their job. And so... Because that's what cops are supposed to do. They're supposed to murder. And police and ultimately kill black people. That's why they were created. Right. So when you see a character like Malone, who is sort of nice, I think people are trapped into thinking that he is a sympathetic, caring person. Because we're so used to seeing cops as these like villains. But even the nice cops are just as villainous because they're taking part in this system like this political racism. I also have a question about that. So I know that as a black person, when I'm watching a movie and there's a black person in there, I'm cheering for that black person, sometimes whether they're wrong or right. And so I'm curious, like I remember watching, ultimately this person ended up being who everyone was cheering for, but I remember the first time I saw Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr. played Aaron Burr. And in the opening credits, it's like, and I'm the damn fool that shot him. And even though he's saying that he shot Alexander Hamilton in the first five minutes of the production, I'm like, I'm already on his side. I don't care. I don't care what happened, but he's a black person and I'm rooting for everybody black. And so I'm, I'm curious if at Michigan State, those white students just saw so few white characters in the book that when they saw one that seemed just like had to have one redeemable quality that they were cheering for him. Is that something that white people experience? Because you're not used to not seeing yourselves projected in characters. That's something that we're used to. So what do you think if you were one of those white students at Michigan State? Do you think they're just rooting for Malone because he's white? No, I think those white students are just racist and haven't dealt with their racism. Well, yeah, obviously, but... They can't, there's two white characters in the story, basically. Malone. Three. And Ma, which we'll get to. Four. Yeah, but they cannot imagine a book where there are no redeeming white characters. You see what I'm saying? So if you have four white characters in a book and they're all bad, of course you're like, well, this one's not that bad. We're going to cheer for him because they wouldn't even dream of like, we could also just cheer for black Tom. Cause in their mind, they have to cheer for somebody white. They couldn't dream of cheering for the black protagonist. Well, Malone does get his eyelids severed off by a straight razor. Spoiler alert, which is one of the most violent scenes. And no, that isn't the most violent scene. It's the murder of, I guess you're told that in a story, the murder of Otis, um, Tommy Tester's father. See, but that, that, right? You just did that. Like, we think about the most violent scene being what happened to this white character, and we don't think about the firing squad that was unloaded on his dad. Or even the fact that Black Tom 
well, Tommy Tester is transformed into Black Tom because he is basically forced into servitude mm-hmm. by Robert Sudum. You listen to Sudum. Sudum. Mm-hmm. Going back to some of the other characters, we have Malone, the nice racist cop, and then we have Howard, the terrible, awful racist cop, and then we have Robert Sudnan. He is the rich white dude who ends up employing Tommy Tester to play at his house. And Tommy Tester goes there and discovers that this party he's playing at is actually a ritual to bring back the Sleeping King, the most terrifying creature of Lovecraft's mythos, Cthulhu. Tommy Tester is brought into that house because Robert Sudenheim offers him all this money. And Tommy Tester is hesitant to take the deal at first. (laughs) Yeah, if this was made into a movie on film, all of the black people in theater would be like, no, what? No! A black person just just went for the bait of some white guy dazzling all these riches in his face? Like, that is... Tech, I mean, we wouldn't have a story if he didn't, right? But that would be when we all would throw our popcorn up. But what time have you taken money for a situation that you felt potentially compromising? When have I taken a lump sum of money? Or like a good deal? Both. Either. And? From a white person? I guess any person. Any situation. But that's why this is not that. Mm-hmm. It's not any situation. It is the people that catcall you and harass you every day. You're taking a deal from them. And as a black person, I don't do that as like, that's just something I don't do because I am so conditioned to be so wary of white people. I guess it was you, right? (laughs) You're the last white person I took a deal from because you asked me to marry you. But I'm really trying to sit here and think about when I agreed to do business with a white person because they were just throwing me some money and I was like, I got to take this deal. All right, let's expand it to when, when have you ever taken money when you realized, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't, this is a terrible idea. Oh, I've moved into some pretty horrible apartments. Um, one time and see, this is the thing about what we're talking about. I was manipulated because I was dazzled because it was this like friendly older black couple who agreed to be my landlords and they were like, we're going to have this place finished for you and you're going to be like a, a basically a daughter to us and we're really happy we can be a, a communal support system for you. That's why I was manipulated because I trusted people that had raised me essentially. But I, I don't think I would have been manipulated in that way if that couple were white. Hell no. That would be an that would be an inversion of the inverting mm-hmm. of this story, mm-hmm. right? Because of the intersectionality, right, of not only race but class and uh, gender as well. So this and this novella is misses a lot of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And Victor Laval was criticized by a a young stu- uh, a young woman, uh, a student who said, why aren't there no women in this story? Victor Laval shares this, this experience and he realized that, oh, wait, I, I myself am doing what Lovecraft did to a much lesser extent, but I'm still doing it. So in the future, someone else can go and rework that story. So you're not going to have a better time where you took a deal? I think I know. 
You don't have to talk about it. We can cut this later, but... I did work in a service year program because I thought I was doing the Lord's work, but I realized very quickly that doing free shit for Jesus doesn't get you anywhere. Mm. Service year programs are fucking scams. They put band-aids on gaping social wounds, and they are mostly run by boards of very wealthy Democrats, wealthy liberals, so fuck all service years. Oh, oh well, let's move on. Yeah, I felt, ooh, I felt that. The story, the title is um, The Ballad of Black Tom, and when Tommy Tester goes to this Cthulhu ritual, he ends up being forced into servitude. So after this ritual at Robert Sudenheim's house, Tommy Tester transforms into Black Tom. Mm, yeah. I feel and, like he should have got like a soup change or something right there. Exactly. So he, and he becomes this like super hero, but he's not a hero. He's a villain. And he ends up making a, the ground opening up and swallowing a house uh, at one point. That's a hero to me. Yeah. He's confronted by the cops at one point, and he says to the cops, you know, guns and badges don't scare everyone. And he turns into this, like, super badass character. Who's still a hero. He's kind of like a... I don't know, would you describe, like, Deadpool as still a hero? It's like, it might not have been... It's the anti-hero. It's the anti-hero, but it's... Yeah. And so, at he he's in some ways forced into uh, servitude to fulfill the biddings of mm. Sudnam. And eventually, he's tired of that. He slits the throat of Sudnam's. Yay, yay! And uh, ends up having all this power to actually walk, be, he, to walk between stars. He becomes a star traveler at some point. And... Uh, he, with just a straight razor, he kills a bunch of cops that are, like, shooting at him. So think, I'm thinking, like, Luke Cage. Or, like, Django. Yeah, or, like, Django. Uh, or I was thinking Luke Cage because he is impervious to bullets. And in one of the major confrontations between Black Tom and Malone, he removes malone's eyelids yes cuts cuts off his eyelids do it and when he does it he says you can't choose blindness when it suits you anymore Mm -hmm. because he's removed his eyelid and that just made me think sometimes you need a straight razor to cut off the eyelids of liberal racists metaphorically speaking of course we oh okay sure we weren't gonna go do that like tonight Like, after we had sex, I really wanted to go just take people's eyelids off, but maybe next week. We'll pencil it in this week. See, I I love that imagery. And Victor Laval was saying, no, that's, like, violence. That's a bad thing in this interview. And I was, like, cheering for him. One of the best lines of this entire novella is when Tommy, Black Tom, leans into Malone after cutting off his eyelids and whispers to him, I'll take Cthulhu over you devils any days. And in Lovecraftian mythology, Cthulhu, tentacles from his face, is the embodiment of all cosmic horror, the ultimate worst evil. And that is not the center of evil in this story. It's not. So my question for you 
is like what is cosmic horror for you because it's not cthulhu and i think that is what victor laval is getting to that cosmic horror means something very very different here <laughs> Well, Cosmic Horror to me is a classic case of a white person losing their fucking minds and being out of this world and doing something ridiculous. Like, damn, Britney from Glee doing a contemporary dance piece to George Floyd. That That is horrifying to me. It says to me that white people are on another planet. Or another, That's Cosmic Horror. Or another dimension. An- they're on another dimension. Whiteness is the cosmic horror. I think I feel that way. Black Tom feels that way. And the white students at Michigan State need to get it together. I know one of y'all are out there listening. (laughs) One of the other themes in this is this idea of language having power. Hmm. And the Supreme Alphabet is brought up. For those who don't know, it originates from the... Oh, let me tell it. The Supreme Alphabet is Patti LaBelle singing the ABCs on Sesame Street. That's my Supreme Alphabet. That's a good alphabet. It's so good. Go listen to it right now, then come back and join us. Now tell me what, you know, your version of the Supreme Alphabet is. It originates from the Nation of Islam. It's this idea that it it's the original language in which you can understand the universe. And lots of religions have this idea. For yes. example, I grew up Pentecostal and speaking in tongues was speaking in the language of angels and you're praying the perfect will of God. And I know that always freaks you out when I start speaking <laughs> in tongues. Does it freak me out or make me like have a deep sigh? <laughs> I, think, I think it's... A little bit of both. Maybe the size masking your cosmic horror. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you a funny story that I didn't tell you? Uh, as a kid, I created my own language. I'm sure everybody did that. And it was basically, it was an ABC wheel, but it was different characters. And I would write different messages to myself with all of these new characters that I created. It's in a shoebox somewhere at home that is buried in my backyard to this day. But I, could, I was the only one that could write in this language. And I had a little wheel that would tell me, like, what letter is what. Lovecraft would be proud. Man, fuck him. But Victor, but yeah, Victor would, Laval. Victor Laval would be proud. Yes. Going back to different ways of how people arm themselves, one of my favorite parts of this story is Otis, Tommy Tester's father, says mm-hmm. that I'm going to arm you with a song. I'm going to teach you this song. And that's that's the ballad of... And a straight razor. And, and a straight razor. He also gave him a straight razor that was like an amulet. Exactly. So you need both. You need straight razors and songs. And we are constantly playing music in this house. It's mm-hmm. And it just makes me think of all the times when you're feeling really sad. And you play music. And mm-hmm. you listen to song. And that's, that's like a safety net for you and you think it is until you walk in and you're like amber please keep it down i'm like and i used to i used to you know when we were first dating i would be like okay and now i'm kind of like no i need to just like belt out a couple of notes to feel free and safe and because this song is is hitting me in a way that you can't or that i can't express through words i'm trying to be better about letting you just belt out and sing yeah. Oh, yeah. We got into a serious argument about that one time on a ride home on like a road trip. 
Like I was singing in the car and you were just like, you have to stop. And I was like, I need music to like be free. And you just like, what up? You just want to silence my voice. The ballad of Black Tom has changed that completely. For Good. Me. I'm not going to malone you anymore. Yeah. And this is going to be, I'm, every song is going to be the ballad of Black Amber. Another really cool part is how dimensions are, he talks about in this story, dimensions are uh, stitched together. Mm-hmm. And there's this door, essentially, that you made a comparison to. Hal's hey, Magic Castle. Yeah. The anime that you showed me. So if you had the potential to have a portal in our house that stitched together different dimensions. Mm-hmm. On some, go? like, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe shit. Well, that's Portal Fantasy, which takes you into a different universe. I guess this is, this portal is different because uh, Black Tom uses it to travel to different parts of New York City. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is, this por- this portal is a little bit different. Okay, so what are the, okay, I love playing this game. What are the ramifications again before I get too off the timeline? So if any door in this home could open to what? I guess at any part of the world. I Currently. Guess, yeah. I guess, in 2020. I guess it would take you Athens, maybe, to open up the door and just walk. Like uh, That would be really nice to go home and see my family. I'd also love to, you know, I've told you, I think every black person's dream is to one day find, like, the country of origin in Africa that they're from. Well, every, like, black American's dream. So I would love to find out what country I'm my ancestors were taken from in Africa and then be able to go to like a city in that country like whenever I wanted to. What about you? I really liked Cairo. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, you know, you go back and forth in Cairo because you went during like a pretty interesting time, I'll say, right? Yeah, the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring. I'd still go back. There was this street vendor who sold really good like cow kidney so you, if you could go anywhere in the world, you would go back through a door where you could eat cow kidney. It was delicious. You know, I married you, so this is part of my fault. Okay, and then give me one more, please. Uh, I don't, like, if I had a Lovecraftian portal stitched together to take me into a different world or dimension, I would actually prefer to go to a different dimension where What that mean? It means that... We're not in our universe and our laws no longer apply. So it would be fun to go to a dimension in which everyone was flying. You didn't give me that option. Well, I changed the rules for me. White people. That's that's the whitest shit ever. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about Ma'at. Yeah. There's this scene where she has... She's, she's almost, so who's my aunt? Oh, my aunt. For those of you who haven't read, Ben, I promise you I'm going to make Ben explain these characters. So who's my aunt? My aunt is this woman, presumably white woman, who mm-hmm. hires Tommy Tester to get him a book of the Supreme Alphabet. But Tommy Tester rips out the last page so that my aunt doesn't have all of the language. Um, I, and I'm not sure if she's white. I think she is because she's, I know him going to her neighborhood is like scandalous. Like Mm. people are like, what are you doing up here? And so. Yeah. But she's also some other entity because. She's a monster of some sort. Yeah. Because her 
the back part of her body is almost like a slug snail that extends far into the hallway when she opens up the door. Eventually, she gets pissed off. She It's like Roz from Monsters, Inc. vibes. Right, exactly. And so she hires... And she wants to pay for asking, <laughs> but from Black Tom. Exactly. And she Black decides Tom. to hire the cops. The cops go to Black Tom's house, Tommy Tester's house, murder Otis. And Tommy Tester from that event ends up transforming into Black Tom and goes back to Ma'at and makes the ground open up and swallow her and kill her. And so Ma'at is quickly disposed of. I mean, do I sympathize with my aunt as a white person? No. Do I sympathize with her as a woman who ordered a full page book and it came with a missing page? Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, she's a woman scorned. At the end of the day, she's a woman scorned. She ordered a product and it came and it's like ordering Uber Eats and somebody's been messing with your food and you're like, well, some of it's here, but all of it's not. And I ordered there's I ordered two egg rolls, you brought me one. So I just want my food. And then you But take, she pulled a whole Karen and got it. his whole borough shot up, essentially. His his home. So like take a picture of it, post it on social media, yes. say this person fucked up my order, and then send people after this person. Send the mob, yes. Ancient right. No, monsters. she needed the full plate. I understand that. I mean, when when I need my full plate and I'm not getting the supreme alphabet to harvest powers of the world, I'm upset. So I understand her her frustration. The story the story does end with uh, Black Tom going to his friend in the Victoria Victorian Society. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. And oh yeah, that so the Victorian Society is the Victorian Society is a place that. He, uh, where his friend Buckeye, um, works, who is from the Caribbean island, uh, Montserrat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Victorian society is sort of a safe haven for immigrants there. And Tommy Tester describes it to Ma'at to sort of fetishize it for her. She describes the Victorian, because she wants to go to the Victorian society, so it, it would be similar to um, someone fetishizing the South Side. It's like this, like... Oh, I should go. It's so dangerous. Yeah, We're in dang- Chicago, Chirac, all Ex- this. Exactly. But you go there and you go to Peaches or you go and, you know, drink... Uh, yeah, you go to Chicken and Waffles and you're like, oh, this is just a, a neighborhood where people are living their lives. Great. Or, yeah, exactly. So it, it's not it's not like that. And... He goes to the Victorian Society to meet with his friend, and and there his friend sort of encourages him to stop using the name Black Tom. He says, no, you're not Victoria, the Victoria Society. He says, no, you're not Black Tom, you're Tommy Tester, the worst singer I've known. And there's this, like, they have this enjoyment. Yeah, like a little banter. And it, I think that ending the book with this caring moment between two friends I thought was a really good decision (laughs) sort of centering it like Mm -hmm. as this person is not the villain I do too I think to go back to me comparing it to get out at the beginning 
it's it's nice to see the story end with like two black characters who are just coming back together to be like, see, I told you this shit was crazy. I told you life is crazy. I told you white women are crazy. Like there's something really comforting about that. And it's true to form and like, you know, black people getting together the next day to be like, I had a hell of a night, but I'm here. Yeah. I like it. I think that's a great time to warp up the show. In conclusion, The Ballad of Black Tom is an amazing inversion of Lovecraft. And Victor Laval is the shit. I can't wait to read more. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. Next week, we are so excited because for episode five, we will be, you guessed it, discussing Lovecraft Country. By then, the season finale will be completed, so we will be talking about the entire season and all its epicness. So be sure to tune in for that episode. And also, follow us on all the things. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and now we are on Patreon. So be sure to sign up and just give a small contribution every Every single month if you enjoy the show. Now I'm getting out of here. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.